Today on the show, we welcome Jeff Pirozzillo to the studio for a conversation about the direction schools are headed over the next two months. Jeff serves as superintendent of Auburn City Schools, a district where voters recently approved a new spending plan for the upcoming year. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for being here. Josh, thanks for having me. Greatly appreciate it. So obviously there's a a ton to talk about. There's a a ton of uncertainty like we were talking about before we came on here. Um, But give us an overview of where we stand right now. So right now, really what we're waiting for is guidelines to come from the state. Um, You know, we're we're getting phone calls from parents, community members, even my Board of Education about what's the reopening plan going to look like. And it's really tough to put a reopening plan together without the guidelines. It's like playing a game, not knowing the rules of the game. So uh, right now what we're doing is, is we're looking at more of safety precautions. I've ordered 10,000 masks for next year. Um, We've ordered fog machines that will go in and disinfect our schools every night. We've gotten a lot of different cleaning solutions, hand sanitizing machines and the hand sanitizers, soap. So we're doing a lot of the cleansing, you know, know, the the pieces to keep our kids safe. Mm -hmm. But what school is going to look like, that's still up in the air. When it comes to those conversations, and I'm assuming it's a lot of like game planning, various possible outcomes, what do those conversations look like and how often are they they happening, I guess, within the administrative team there? Um, just about every day. Um, I mean, really, that, that's what we're, we're planning. Um, you know, we have graduation coming up this Friday. So that's, that's changed multiple times. Um, you know, from a virtual graduation to a drive-up graduation to now having a graduation with only 150 people there and how we design that. We're having six different ceremonies on Friday night with 45 students down on the field with two, two guest tickets for each one of them. So we'll have 150 on the, on the field. Uh, they'll leave. The next group will come, and we're just going to rotate through six of those on Friday evening. So as we're discussing those things, it's the same conversation of what's September going to look like. And, you know, most of the conversation is transportation, what's it going to look like? If we have a 60-student bus and we've got to do social distancing of six feet, how many kids can we get on that bus? And do the tall bus seats act as a barrier so we can have one in each seat because of the, the, the high seat, so that's the barrier, or do we still have to go every other seat or every third seat? So those are things that we're dealing with with transportation, and how do you transport 2,200 kids to school every day in a timely fashion if you only can put 15 to 30 kids on a bus? In, in a little bit, I want, to, I want to sort of throw some of the various ideas that we've seen posed at you, and just to get your thoughts on, on what some of those may look like in, in an actual practice. Um, but as you're going through this summer, uh, what are some of the big unknowns that you're hoping to see answers to sooner rather than later, even though there is a lot of uncertainty connected to the virus itself? Uh, whether, whether our students are going to be back in September or not. Really, are, are we looking at virtual online learning again this year, or are we looking at a hybrid schedule, or are kids just coming back to school? We got to figure out the social distancing. So the alternate, the, what we've looked at for plans is alternating A B day. Half kids come on A day, the other half comes on B day. Half day we could not do because of transportation. There's just no way possible. Um, or do we look at some type of hybrid where our ninth through twelfth graders 
are actually going to be learning online while K through 8 will be in our buildings. We could move 4th, 5th, and 6th grade maybe to our high school and keep K1, 2, and 3 in the elementaries just to spread people out more. You know, these are a lot of the conversations that my colleagues and I are having. But again, without those guidelines, really hard to plan that. When you look at, uh, obviously, last week, budget passed, good thing, get you guys rolling, at least in, in some direction, even though there's probably a bit of uncertainty there, too. Um, where does the budget put you in terms of flexibility through the summer into the fall, given that the, the governor has kind of laid out a, a bunch of different scenarios in terms of what funding may or may not look like, depending on how politics shake out? Again, that's another guessing game on itself. So not only kids coming back in September, what the schedule is going to look like. School funding is is just a game right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're going off of numbers that were, were given to us in April. Um, there was supposed to be a look back period at the end of May and again at the end of June. So, you know, the governor has come out and said that he's going to cut 20% of foundation aid to schools. That's over $6 million in Auburn. So um, the uncertainty of where we're going to look like because now what we're hearing is he might wait till December to mm. actually take the money back. If he does that, you know, there's going to be a lot of mid-year cuts throughout the whole state of New York. Um, that's not just going to be an Auburn issue. The one thing is we've tried to put ourselves in good financial standing. So, you know, we're, we're hoping to have a good rollover from last year. Um, we, we tried to save as much as we possibly could. We froze everything last year at a certain point. Um, we worked with a lot of our vendors um, because kids weren't in school starting on March 16th to save some money. So, you know, we're, we're open to have a few mil, million dollar rollover that really could help us offset that that cut if it comes out, you know, near $6 million. Okay, so I, I want to talk about that a little bit. The, the mid-year cut or the possibility of mid-year cuts. Um, the, the city of Rochester recently went through that exact same scenario, although for entirely different reasons. Um, that was viewed within the community as sort of like the worst case scenario. Um, are are you concerned about that part of it and having those cuts potentially come at like the worst possible time? And how would a district reshape itself over the course of what I would imagine would just be a few weeks to finish a school year, you know, at a drastically reduced uh, staffing level? Yeah, and, and you're, you're exactly right there. And, you know, I, I think transparency is the best thing to continue to keep the community informed of what's going on. Um, you know, when, when we set our budget this year, we were very transparent and said, you know, to the community, cuts could be happening. Cuts probably will occur at some point. Um, you know, the, like I said, Josh, the, the good thing is I think financially with our reserves, with our fund balance, um, with our rollover, it's going to put us in a better place than a lot of school districts because we've been very smart in what we've done with that. So I think that's going to offset. But but again, you could see some cuts in classes. And, and here's the funny piece. We have COVID-19 going on. Social distancing is what we're supposed to be doing. You cut money. We cut teachers. Class sizes increase. Right. So So, you know, how do you go about that? So I think it's going to be a, a multifaceted issue that we're going to face when that comes up. But hopefully school districts have done good financial planning so that when January hits, we'll be okay and, and be able to maybe finish out the school year and then relook at things again, you know, for the 2021-22 school year. 
if you're giving uh, distance learning as a model uh, a grade for obviously short-term impl- implementation this spring, um, what would you grade it at, and, and how realistic is it to, you know, have the prospect of jumping back into it in the fall, uh, and what that would mean for students? We will be much better in the fall than we were last year, absolutely, um, and, and for multiple reasons. Um, one is this year was going to be our first year to be a one-to-one district. So every single student will have a Chromebook uh, this coming year. It's taken us five years to get enough for every student, but this year was the last. We had 800 more to get, and we got them this, this summer. So, so every student is going to have a device. That's number one. Number two was the professional development piece. Um, our teachers learning how to do it, and, and we got crash courses on that. So this summer, that's what we're going to be spending most of our professional development money on is Google Classroom, Zoom. How are we going to be able to teach online? Um, We're going to have set schedules. So this year, every teacher did something different. Next year, we'll have a designated time for English, for social studies, for science, for, you know, phys ed, for health. Those will be in the afternoon, the elective type of thing. So our four core subjects will be in the morning with a language in the afternoon and then the elective. So we're going to get much better at this, but I think it was a crash course for all school districts. Um, I would definitely say our secondary was a little bit higher of a score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you want that A, B, C, D score, but um, we were a lot higher at the secondary. Elementary, um, K1, 2, 3, 4, they did packets the entire time we were off. We would do packets three weeks. Um, The kids would get them. We would do them again another three weeks, collect those packets so we could just progress monitor. Teachers were in contact with the families, social workers, counselors. um, But we will be online, which, again, is tough for for parents as well because now parents got to find the time. When, When do we get our kids online? How, how do we, if they're going to daycare, how does daycare provide that? So, you know, there's going to be a lot of hurdles if, if we are virtual in September. What about the prospect of potentially going through this process without sort of a, a no-fail backstop, um, where students, you know, right or wrong, are judged on the merits of their work, and ultimately, you know, some students will pass, some students will fail. How is that going? How Are you concerned at all about how that um, may affect certain groups of students as opposed to others. That That's one of the biggest issues because of equity, right? Yeah. Access, you know, not every child has access to the Internet. So, you know, we, we provided about 200 um, hotspots to our families so that they could have Internet access as well as the Chromebooks for everyone. Um, but, you know, you Auburn has a lot of poverty. We're at about 60% poverty. So a lot of our, our poverty-stricken families don't have the money to pay for that. We as a school district have to figure out and make sure that they have access. But when you talk about rural school districts, you know, you get out in Romulus, you get out in Southern Cayuga, you get out in Cato, yeah. there's places where you can't get internet. So, you know, even though we fight the poverty piece in Auburn, they're fighting the rural piece. So access and equity becomes a huge issue, and, and you're right. Where is the fairness and, and kids that are passing? Again, students that have guidance with their families that are helping them through that versus some of our children that don't have the support structure there. And we were talking before we came on here that even the, the district has a, a 
group of, of homeless students as well that, that have to be um, planned for in some way, shape, or form. How do they fit into this this perspective model of, of distance learning, you know, continuing that into the future? Yeah, and, and again, you know, they're very our, our homeless children are very transient. We have to keep tabs on them every week to make sure that they're still in the, the places that they're at. So, again, even giving them hot spots, <clears throat> they jump back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the feeding program. We deliver food um, to about 450 families by bus every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from March 16th on. We would give two lunches and two breakfasts on Monday, two on Wednesday, and then three on Friday to cover them through the weekend. Um, and then we did other um, boxes of food for the whole family on Fridays. We're continuing those all summer long for our kids. So um, access to learning for our home, our, our homeless children is a very difficult task. Um, and and it's, it's tough to educate those kids. You, you know, schools, we need to meet the basic needs of children. Um, you know, when we're talking basic needs, we're talking about safety, health, food, just a place to come that they feel comfortable and safe in. When, when our kids are coming to school that are homeless, sometimes they don't even feel that. So education becomes secondary because we're meeting the other basic needs. Now it becomes worse because they have to learn at home. So yeah, it, it just it increases the problem significantly. Okay, so some of our listeners are going to say, well, look, all of these issues that, that you guys are talking about have been issues for years in schools, and school has needed change for a long, long time. Um, what do you say to those folks who, who feel like this is, this is the right time to make some really big changes in the way schools operate? Are, do you have optimism that maybe some of those hurdles, those you know, issues with, around uh, child care and, and uh, food stability can be ironed out so that schools can focus on being a school in the future down the road, even if it isn't maybe this upcoming school year, but two, three years down the road, maybe should we see some progress on that front? You know, we hope so. You, you know, we've, we've got to see the silver lining in everything. And, um, you know, we're going to make some changes because of COVID-19 that are going to be good for education. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our high school students, they should be doing some online schooling, get some ready for college. I mean, otherwise they go in as a freshman and they're, they're given a computer and now they're like, you know, what are we doing with this? So, so one thing this has opened us up to, and I think many superintendents would agree, is that we can do some electives. We could do some dual credit college and high school courses online. Um, so, so, yes, I do think there's good pieces with it. And we've had issues in school for the last hundred years. They haven't changed. Absolutely, and and it's that cycle. Um, the homeless, you know, the food piece and, and those things, I think are a separate issue, but how we educate children, I think is gonna change. Do I think our kids need to be in public schools? Absolutely, they need that socialization. Uh-huh. They need to be in school, they need to be around other children. They need the extracurricular activities, um, but there are pieces though, that we could make their days more meaningful by using some some virtual learning. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to start throwing some different some of the different ideas that we've seen pop up in headlines um, for for the ways that school might change over the next uh, couple months as as, you know, districts like yours move forward. 
Um, number one, class sizes of 12 to 15 students. That's one of the guidelines that we've seen pop up. <clears throat> when you hear that, and looking at a district as large as yours, one of the largest in the region, um, what what goes off or, or what sort of thoughts uh, pop up in your head? Uh, the only thing we could really do is an A-B day in that case. Uh, my elementary um, is our elementary are between probably 20 and, and 30. Um, our high school classes are, are more 25 to 30. So right there in half is, is 15, which is still over the guideline numbers. Um, so, so again, the only way we would be able to accomplish that is by kids coming to school every other day, which means they only get half the instruction all year long. That's not going to be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Split schedules. So meaning by split schedules, whether it's an AB day model or, you know, keeping some students home throughout the year or, or breaking up, you know, quadrant days. I've heard some ideas of ABCD days. days, Yep. Yep. Um, Those, those kinds of ideas. You know, it's, it's a lot easier elementary. I could split the kids up alphabetically, A through M, you've got. 13 kids this day, you got 13 kids, you know, the next day. Easy. When you get to the secondary level, unfortunately, we have 11th and 12th graders that are still in ninth grade classes. You may go to math class and only have 12 kids in your class, but the next period you go, there's 30 kids in your social studies class. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't equally work out at the secondary level when you're changing classes each period. So uh, the hybrid model, again, and, and you and I talked about a little bit, is is looking more at secondary kids doing more online, coming in for hands-on, like technology, science labs, art, music, uh, phys ed. Again, phys ed's one of those questionable ones because we don't know if we can be using the gymnasium, using equipment, but still they could walk, they could do lifetime activities with social distancing. But bringing kids in to do the hands-on classes while we do the other ones virtually, so I, I think there's a lot of different splits that can be done. But again, once we know what those guidelines are, because we, we have to find out if we're going to be allowed to have students in our schools. Mm-hmm. Um, students in one classroom all day. That's an interesting one where teachers would, in theory, I suppose, rotate. Um, and then the student body would stay put in one classroom all day. I, in some of those theories, I've even seen that uh, the students would eat lunch in that same classroom all day. Is that realistic in terms of having a, a productive student body in that kind of environment with, with a single classroom? Well, yeah, in Auburn High School, um, we have 1,300 kids in, in that building. Um, yeah, that's, that's not going to really work um, just because, uh, again, we have so many kids Ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade kids in advanced and rich classes. Some kids in remediation classes. There's no way you could leave high school kids in the same room all day long because of you know the differences in their schedules in in the courses that they're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, we offer a ton of college courses, so yeah, that would be absolutely impossible. Yes, again at the elementary school. Not an issue. Phys ed teacher could actually come into the room and do activities in there. Music could do music activities in there. Art, same thing. So yes, elementary, um, secondary, no. 
Countywide school districts. Say that again. Countywide school districts as sort of a consolidation to spread students out across a bunch of buildings, across a bunch of districts. Well, if anything, with COVID-19, this is what it's opening us up to. You know, especially especially if you're looking at, at virtual learning, um, you, you could have a performing arts high school. You could have different high schools set up in, around the county to meet different majors um, of where kids want to be. You could set up pathways for kids. Um, multiple different pathways for kids, meaning, you know, electrician, plumbing, you know, those hands-on schools. We've, we've been having, I've been having talk about pathways for the last five years in our district and working with different businesses in Auburn on how to get kids in half day and then get them into businesses for the other half of the day. But if, if this is going to show us anything, again, countywide school districts like they do down south, could be something really, we could be really close to that. Again, may take four or five years to get there, but I think it's really opened the doors to that. More mirroring the higher education model, it sounds like, what you're saying. It is. For high schools, at yeah, least. Correct. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, your elementaries, you're still going to have your, your neighborhood schools. It's more of the secondary that you're looking at. Uh, teachers who are concerned about going back to work in the fall, whether there's a secondary spike or not, um, we've been hearing that that some, you know, some districts are having to deal with with uh, faculty that are concerned about their their health and safety. You know, I'm more concerned about some of my faculty's health and safety more than they are, and and uh, I've I've had a couple of them stay home purposely because I worry about their compromised immune systems. Um, I do think that um, many of our staff will be nervous about that, um, but. A lot of our staffs are like, we got to help these kids out. I had more staff members saying, can I go to the kid's house? Can we do parades? Can we do this? And I kept saying, no, we, we have to be safe throughout this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that's going to be an issue in many, many school districts is, you know, I've already got parents calling me about homeschooling their children for next year. Um, parents are scared and, and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And we're going to help them through that. But yes, we're going to have some staff members um, that that are definitely going to be hesitant on coming back. We've had a couple of retirements already, and I think it's been people that weren't planning on retiring this early. But but again, you know, I'm 50 years old. I'm getting up to that target area too. Mm-hmm. So you know, it is it's nerve wracking. But we we do have to make sure that we take care of our staff as well as our students because we know that the older adults get hit with this a lot worse than what than our youth yeah. does so we, we have to protect everyone student refusal uh or obviously mm-hmm. parents making that decision for their students um but you know how does a district like auburn contend with that you said you're already getting phone calls about homeschooling and and that is a potential option um not just the short term but the long term would that have an effect on the district's uh, various financial implications in year 2 3 and 4 as you come out of this if say 10 to 15 to 20% of students just don't come back this coming year and opt for a year of homeschooling uh, yeah and and again homeschooling's the the correct answer right refusal and homeschooling are two totally right. different things right so so, um, and I'm sure we're going to get guidance from the state on that because every school district in New York State, is, it, well, probably in the country are going to be facing that, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of scared parents out there. So, you know, I, I think um, that will definitely have an impact on our, our funding um, sources. And I, I mean, I think 
our funding is in deep trouble right now um, just just because of our economy. But, you know, what we're going to have to do as a school district is we're going to have to figure out how we don't let those students fall through the cracks. We still have to provide them with some type of instruction. So, so again, it goes back to that hybrid model. And, and, you know, it even could be where we do a survey and say what kids want to come back to school, what kids rather do online learning, maybe given choices to students. Wouldn't that be great if you got an even number that did that so that yeah. we were doing direct learning to every student every day? So, you know, that, that's another option out there as well. One thing that, that is your big concern heading into the fall, and then, of course, uh, one thing that leaves you optimistic about what's coming up. Again, it's safety. It's safety of kids. You know, the worst thing that could happen is we reopen our schools and we get people sick. And, and I think the next month is going to be really telling um, in the state of New York because we're seeing down south the spiking numbers because they reopened too early, or is it just because they reopened? So as we start our reopening phase up in phase four, I think the next month is really going to be telling on whether we're going to be able to proceed with our kids coming back. So keeping them healthy and safe, our staff and students, is number one. Always is. Um, optimistic. I'm optimistic that they hopefully find a vaccine or a way to treat the illness. Um, I think that is, I don't think the illness is just going to go away. I don't think COVID-19 is going away. We've got to figure out a way to treat it and then end it. So um, we have to stay optimistic that we're going to find the vaccine and a treatment uh, that will get our kids back in because, again, nothing like having Holland Stadium filled with our football team, our soccer team, field hockey. You know, we want our kids not only coming back to school but doing the fun activities that they love to do. Mm-hmm. Jeff, as always, appreciate the time. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me, Josh. Inside the Finger Lakes is a production of FingerLakes1.com Digital Media. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to shows like this one. It's hosted by me, Josh Durso, and if you want to hear archived episodes, visit InsideTheFLX.com. If you have an idea for a show, email it to Josh at FingerLakes1.com or follow me on Twitter at FLXJosh, where we keep the conversation going all week long. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week.